We have an anchor that keeps the soul steady. The Anchor of the Soul with Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love. And now, Mike Hickson. You know, there are some fundamental things that everyone ought to know about the church that we read about in the Bible. And so what I thought I'd do is just share some thoughts along these lines. And what I would encourage you to do is maybe make some notations. I've got about five things that I want to share with you about the church that I think are very, very important. And so as we think today about what everyone needs to know about the church, number one, I think it's important for all of us to understand something about the church in plan. Now the passage that Drew read a moment ago from Ephesians chapter 3 really underscores the idea that the church exists according to God's eternal plan. Now there are some that would say that when Jesus came to earth, because He was rejected by the Jewish people, that He failed in His efforts to establish a kingdom. And so God parenthetically set up what they call the church age. Well, what we'll see in just a minute or two, the church and the kingdom are often used interchangeably in Scripture. But the idea that God was caught off guard by the Jewish people failing to believe in the Christ is just not the case. Matter of fact, you remember in Isaiah chapter 53, Isaiah said about the suffering servant, he was despised and rejected by men. Now, that couldn't be much plainer. Isaiah, writing about seven centuries before the coming of Christ, said unequivocally he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. So the Lord wasn't caught off guard. But that being the case, let's just look again at what Paul said. And I would encourage, as you think about these foundational points as they relate to the church, jot these passages down because as you talk to people, these are things that you can share with them about the church that we read about in the Bible. So beginning in verse 9, Paul said, "...to make all people see what is the fellowship of the mystery." which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ, to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Look specifically at verse 11. According to the eternal purpose which He accomplished or purposed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The book of Ephesians really exalts the church that Jesus Christ established. But in these verses, Paul is simply saying to all of us that the church exists today because it was in the mind of God before He ever framed the world. Go back and look, for example, in the book of Revelation in chapter 13. You remember John talked about the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. God had a plan in place 
to redeem the human family before He ever framed the world and made man. The church was just as much a viable entity in the redemptive plan as the sacrifice of Christ. The two go hand in hand. Sometimes individuals will say, well, the church was a part of God's eternal plan. Listen, the church is God's eternal plan because the church houses the saved. And the Bible talks about how Christ was God's plan before time began to redeem the human family. And Paul bears that out in Ephesians chapter 1. Now there's a second thing I want to share with you. First we think about the church in plan. But then secondly, the church in prophecy. Now let's just go back and look together at the writings of Isaiah the prophet. And note specifically Isaiah chapter 2. In Isaiah chapter 2, the prophet, again writing about 700 years before the coming of the Christ, saw the church as an exalted mountain. And so listen to him in verse 2. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us His ways, and the Bible says we shall walk in His paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. A couple of key points here as we think about the great prophecies penned about the coming of this institution that we know as the church. Isaiah said concerning the church, this exalted mountain, number one, all nations would flow into it. The church was not established for the Jewish people alone. But rather, God's plan was for all nations to be a part of this divine body. You remember in Ephesians 2, verse 16, Paul said that God reconciled both Jew and Gentile through one body on the cross. The agent by which that was done was Jesus Christ. In Ephesians chapter 3, Paul talks about that mystery that had been concealed but later revealed that he wrote about. He said that that mystery that had previously been concealed but now revealed unto the prophets, his holy prophets and apostles, was that the Gentiles might be fellow heirs and of the same body. So when Jesus gave the Great Commission in Matthew 28, in verse 19, you remember what he said? Go therefore make disciples of all the nations. So God was interested in all people. But then there's a second thought here. Isaiah said that the word of the Lord would go forth from Jerusalem. So we have now the place where the church would have her beginning. That is, in the city of Jerusalem. Did that come to pass? Well, read the book of Acts chapter 2. On Pentecost Day, the church was established. There's a second passage I want to share with you along the lines of prophecy. Look over now to the book of Daniel. Daniel in chapter 2, you remember Daniel had the opportunity to stand before Nebuchadnezzar. He was an important man in the court of, in the court of Nebuchadnezzar. 
Daniel interpreted a dream that Nebuchadnezzar did not understand. He saw an image, a great image, and he didn't understand the contents of the dream. And so Daniel interpreted this dream. And he talked about how four world empires would rise and fall in successive order, beginning with Babylon, over which Nebuchadnezzar was ahead. The Babylonian Empire would give way to the Medes and the Persians. And we talk about Cyrus. And Isaiah the prophet spoke of Cyrus by name, prophetically. But then the Medes and the Persians, that empire would fall to the Grecian Empire that would later yield to the Roman Empire. So I want you to look at something, a couple of passages. Look first of all at verse 35. Concerning the church or the kingdom that was to come. Daniel said, The stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now that takes us back to Isaiah chapter 2, doesn't it? Where Isaiah talked about how all nations would flow unto it. And so here we talk about the universal nature of the church. But then, note also back in verse 34, he talked about a stone cut without hands. That stone cut without hands was the church. So now drop down, look at verse 44. Isaiah has told us the word of the Lord would go forth from Jerusalem. In other words, that would be her originating point where she was established. Daniel now pinpoints the time the church will be established. Look at verse 44. And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Now think about Nebuchadnezzar is the head over the Babylonian empire. Babylon was a very powerful empire responsible for carrying the children of Israel into captivity. That is, they spent 70 years in the captivity, and there were three carryings away. But Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. And as I said a minute ago, the Medes and the Persians, they would fall to the Grecian Empire, which would later fall to the Roman Empire. And so Daniel said, in the days of these kings, what kings? The Roman kings. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. Unlike the earthly kingdoms that he's just talked about, that would rise and fall, come and go. Daniel talks about a kingdom that would never be destroyed. Now listen to him. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. That's significant. It is an immovable kingdom. It is an eternal kingdom. It will always exist. There's a third thing let me share with you very quickly. We talk about the church in plan, in prophecy, but now let's think about the church in promise. Now, hold that thought about the church being the kingdom because we're going to come back to it in just a minute. But let's look now at the book of Matthew. Let's just turn over to Matthew chapter 16 for a minute. Here's a, another important verse that I think relative to our study concerning the church or the kingdom of God. You remember in verse 13, Matthew talks about that occasion when Jesus and His disciples, they're in Caesarea Philippi, just north of the city of Jerusalem, on the upper edge of Palestine. And it's here that He begins to ask 
his disciples about what people were saying relative to his identity. And you remember they said, some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then Jesus asked the question, but whom do you say that I am? Peter responds by saying, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus, in response to that affirmation, said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now look at verse 18. Jesus said, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. There are some very important things that we ought to consider in light of this great promise. Number one, there is what I would call a play on words here. They're in a, in a very rocky region of Palestine. And you remember Jesus said, I say to you that you are Peter. In the original, that is masculine in gender. And it carries with it the idea of a small stone or pebble in contrast to a large stone or a gigantic stone. Jesus said, I say to you that you're Peter. And on this rock, the word rock here is feminine in gender. And again, it carries with it the idea of a massive stone. Jesus said, I say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock, what rock? Not on Peter, but rather on that bedrock statement that he had just made. Well, what was that statement? You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. So what we're saying is, that the Lord promised to build, listen to him. Jesus said, I will build my church. Number one, with regard to the language used here. The Lord said the church would belong to whom? He says, my church. But then secondly, singular in nature. He didn't say, I'm going to build my churches, but rather he said, I'm going to build my church. The church that was established on Pentecost Day, or just one church. There's always only been one church authorized to exist. Well, what church was that, is that? It's the Lord's church. Keep in mind... Jesus Christ, what He's saying here is, number one, He is the founder of the church, isn't He? That's what He said. But not just the founder, but He is also the foundation of the church. If the church were built upon the Apostle Peter, that would mean the church has been built upon fallible man. But that's not the case. Jesus said, I'll build my church. He is not only the founder of the church, He is the foundation of the church. Do you remember what Paul said, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11? For other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So Jesus is the founder of the church. He's the foundation of the church. And Paul would say in Ephesians 2, He is the chief cornerstone. Everything rests upon Him. I mentioned a moment ago that Daniel foretold of a kingdom and how the terms kingdom and church are often used interchangeably. That being said, let's look at verse 19. 
Jesus now talking to Peter and the apostles. He said, I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Well, what kingdom is he talking about? Not talking about a physical kingdom, but rather he has in mind a spiritual kingdom, a spiritual entity. As a matter of fact, in this context, the kingdom and the church are one and the same. Listen to what he said. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Interestingly, in verse 20, you remember Matthew says that Jesus commanded the disciples that they should tell no one that He was Jesus the Christ. But look at verse 21. From that time Jesus began to show His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and raised again the third day. Why do you think we have the Lord talking about His impending death in close proximity to the establishment of the church? Well, because it cost Jesus His life to establish the church, didn't it? This was God's plan. You remember Peter took Him aside, began to rebuke Him, admonish Him, and said, Far be it from you. This shall not happen to you, Lord. And Jesus said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, a stumbling block to me. For you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. The apostles had difficulty understanding some of the great truths that Jesus was revealing. But the point of emphasis is the church exists in plan, in prophecy, and in promise. And the kingdom and the church are one and the same. Go back and look at Matthew chapter 3. When John the Baptist began preaching and teaching in the wilderness of Judea, his message was very concise, very plain. He said, repent, the kingdom of heaven, listen to him, is at hand. When Jesus began his ministry, as recorded by Matthew in chapter 4, verse 17, what did his message consist of? Same thing. Repent, why? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we're talking about the kingdom of God. Drop down, look if you would, at verse 28. The promise that Jesus made concerning the church. There are some folks that have the idea that since God apparently failed in His efforts to establish the kingdom, that He has parenthetically set up the church age, and that there is a time in the future in which the Lord will return to earth, set up a kingdom in Jerusalem, and there sit and rule and reign. That's not what the Bible teaches. If the Lord failed one time, He could fail again, couldn't He? But look down in verse 28. Jesus said, Assuredly I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in what? In His kingdom. Well, what's the kingdom? It's the church. So what the Lord is saying is, there are some of you who are alive and present. When the church is established, guess what? You're going to see it before you die. Did that come to pass? Yes, sure it did. Just read Acts chapter 2. Everything leading up to the second chapter of Acts is pointing to the coming of the establishment of the kingdom. When you get to Acts chapter 2, you have the church having begun. 
And from then and forward, what do you have? The church growing and abounding. So again, the church in plan, in prophecy, in promise. But then there's another thought, in price. I mentioned a moment ago that if you look at this text, the death of Jesus is spoken of in close proximity to the establishment of the kingdom. Well, why would that be? Let me show you. Look over in Acts for a minute. Look at Acts chapter 20. Look at the second chapter of the book of Acts. Some have called Acts 2 the hub of the Bible, but in Acts chapter 20, Paul is in the city of Miletus. He's called for the elders of the church from Ephesus. And down in verse 27, he would say, I've, shunned, I've not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Look at verse 28. Therefore, therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock. The flock here would represent the church or the kingdom of God, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd or to feed the church of God. Now listen to what Paul said which he purchased with his own blood. There are some people that have the idea that the church is a non-entity. It's really not that important in the grand scheme of things. Some would say that they could have a relationship with the Lord separate and apart from the church. That's not what the Bible teaches. What Paul is saying is Jesus shed his blood in death. Where then does the blood operate? Where does the blood operate in your life? In your body or out of your body? It's in your body, isn't it? Where then does the blood of Christ circulate today? It's in the body of Christ, isn't it? The blood of Christ, the blood of Christ is what washes away sins. And I said a minute ago that Christ and the church, they go hand in hand. Well, why is that? Because the church and those who are saved are one and the same. Acts 2, verse 47. Jesus was said to have loved the church. And the Bible says, He gave Himself for the church in Ephesians 5, at verse 25. Now, let me share another verse with you very quickly along these lines. Let's look, over, let's look over to Romans chapter 12. Look at Romans 12. Jared has been teaching on Tuesday morning the book of Romans, and I appreciate Jared and his study and his willingness to teach and to share the truth of Almighty God on a weekly basis. If you don't come to our class and you have that opportunity, I'd encourage you to come. It's a great class. But look at Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 4. Paul said, we have many members in one body. Now, what's the body? It's the church, isn't it? Isn't that what Paul said? Colossians 1.18, he's the head of the body, the church. All right. We have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. Now, look at verse 5. So we, being many, that is, those of us who belong to the church, the church is comprised of many people. So he said, we being many are one body where? In Christ. That means the one body, those of us who are in the one body, we're in Christ. 
We're in the kingdom and the kingdom is said to be in us. That's what the Lord would say in Luke 17. So when we obey the gospel, we enjoy salvation. That salvation is in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul would say in 2 Timothy chapter 2 at verse 10. When we're baptized into Christ, we're baptized into that one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. By one spirit were y'all baptized into one body. So when we obey the gospel, we enjoy the benefits and the blessings of the blood of Christ. We can't be saved without the blood, can we? Didn't the Hebrew writer say in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission? And Paul said in Ephesians 1, 7, in Him, that's in Christ, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So salvation is in Christ. The church is in Christ. That's where all these spiritual blessings reside. So it's important for us to understand the price that was paid for the church. He redeemed us with His blood, didn't He? Reconciliation takes place where? In the one church, Ephesians 2.16. Those who are redeemed, they're in Christ. Those who are reconciled are in the church of Christ. And really, we're saying the same thing. The redeemed and the reconciled, they're all one and the same. There is a fifth thing I want to share with you. Let's go back now and look at Ephesians chapter 3. Look, if you would, at Ephesians, the third chapter, down in verse 21. Let's just talk for a moment or two about the church in purpose. Why does the church exist? Well, number one, it is comprised of the community of the saved, the ecclesia, those who have been called out, called out of darkness into the light of Christ. They have obeyed the gospel. They enjoy forgiveness of sins. They have all spiritual blessings in Christ. So in verse 21, here's what Paul said. To Him be glory in the church. That is, to God be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Let me tell you why the church exists. To glorify God. God is glorified by His people, isn't He? And those who are in the church, they are the ones who bring honor and glory to God. That's why in Matthew chapter 5, you remember Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So when we engage in good works and do that in the name of Christ, who's to get the honor and glory? It's not about personal glory or adulation, but rather we do those things in the name of Christ. We minister in His name so that God would receive the glory. So you just think about how when we engage in good works in this community, what does that say to people around us? It says something about the church, doesn't it? The church that Jesus Christ died for, established with His blood, and that we're members of today. All right, we're going to close now. And it might be that you're here this afternoon. You're not a member of the church. We just read some verses that talk about the church, the significance of the church. And to recognize that the Lord wants us to be a part of His body.
You remember Paul said that God would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. On Pentecost Day, the apostles preached the truth. And through the proclamation of the gospel, people were convicted of sin and responded favorably, didn't they? Luke said in verse 41, some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel, were baptized into Christ. Verse 47 says, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. If you haven't done that, if you haven't done what they did on Pentecost Day, they believed in the Lord, they repented of sin, they confessed His name, and they were immersed in water. If you haven't done that, would you do it today? Would you obey the gospel so that you can become a part of the church that we read about in Scripture? The church that was bought by Christ's blood. The church that belongs to Christ. And the church that one day will be with Him throughout all of eternity. You remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul said that when the end comes... Christ will deliver, to, deliver up the kingdom to God the Father. Well, we want to be a member of that church, don't we? Delivered up to God the Father. Thank you for listening to the Anchor of the Soul. Your speaker has been Mike Hickson, preacher for the Olive Branch Church of Christ, located at 9100 East Sandage Road in Olive Branch, Mississippi. To hear this lesson again, go to olivebranchchurchofchrist.org. Tune in next Sunday for more of the Anchor of the Soul. We have an anchor that keeps the soul Steadfast and sure while the billows roll Fastened to the rock which cannot move Grounded firm and deep in the Savior's love